having a beer after a hard day's work once meant putting up with a six o'clock swill. The swill is not only unpleasant, it's also dangerous. Those who like beer, and surprisingly it's still legal to like it. South Australia joins all other states in abandoning the six o'clock swill. This week on the Six O'Clock Swill, Albanese and his mean girl Praetorian Guard, the Labour opposition leader's regal progress towards coronation as the next Australian Prime Minister is interrupted by claims of a bullying campaign against the late Senator Kimberly Kitchen. The New York Times finally admits that Hunter Biden's laptop scandal, previously known as a conspiracy theory, is a real thing. President Joe Biden wrestles with revenge porn, And 40 years after leading the world with randomised tests for alcohol, West Australia pioneers the use of randomised testing for COVID-19. Why? Today we're spanning the nation with Tim Blair on the New South Wales Central Coast, Caroline DeRusso in Perth, and uh, I'm Nick Cater in the town of Adelaide, some uh, thousand kilometres south of Udnadatta. First to the Mean Girls, a story that broke this week that Senator Kitchen, who suffered a fatal heart attack last week at the age of 52, had been the victim of bullying by senior Labour senators Penny Wong and Christine Keneally, among others. The Mean Girls strenuously deny that they're mean, and as good modern women, they're probably also denying that they're called girls. I'm not quite sure where we stand on that particular semantic dilemma these days. Caroline, can you help me out? I'm not sure anymore. I'm not even sure what girls are anymore. I think the rules on that change daily. <laughs> what do you make of this? I mean, is this just pure hypocrisy from Labour, which is always, of course, trying to throw mud at Scott Morrison for being, you know, the most sexist person on earth, except for the great misogynist Tony Abbott? What, what do we make of this? Well, it's a, it's a very interesting story. I mean, the, the, the first inklings of it... Uh, were in fact raised by Bill Shorten on Radio National. That's right. And then Shari Markson wrote a fabulous piece uh, last week for The Australian. And it just seems to have snowballed from there. And very interestingly, um, it is now being covered across all the major outlets. Even the ABC mm. have covered it. The Sydney Morning Herald have covered it. Um, and there are also multiple sources of where this information has come from, including um, an allegation uh, that uh, that Kimberly Kitchings um, provided information to a a parliamentary workplace training um, consultant who who she told, allegedly told, that she was being bullied. So um, this is not just um, something that has been dug up from one anonymous source. It, it is starting to come out from all sorts of places. I mean, the, the front page of the Daily Telly uh, last night really pours salt onto those wounds. Um, again, an, another set of allegations by Emma Hussar. Um, and Labor don't want to deal with it. No one wants to talk about it. They're just like, sorry, it's untrue. They don't want to have an investigation. But can you imagine if you were a corporate and there was an allegation of bullying and you went, oh, look, Soz, we don't really feel like touching it because we've got an IPO coming up and that would be inconvenient. <laughs> Good call. Like, imagine if you did that in the private sector. You would get eviscerated. Um, and the fact of the matter is, whether they think it's true or not, there needs to be an investigation. And they were so hard well, on the coalition on this stuff, so sanctimonious, so oh, we are the protectorate of women. 
Um, and then this here becomes a total non-story because it is not politically expedient for them. Anthony Albanese actually took things a step further, didn't he? He said that there would be no investigation into claims that Kimberly Kitching had been bullied. There would be no investigation out of respect for her, which <laughs> is a um, fascinating um, uh, understanding he has of respect. I mean, it's, it's analogous, I guess, to... Uh, police announcing they won't be investigating a murder because it's just out of simple respect for the victim. Let's not uh, let's not dig too deep into that one. So, yeah, correct. The fascinating sort of aspect of this of of, of all of this, like a broader point, the reason people relate so deeply to this, people who might not ordinarily be interested in politics, as well, are, are fascinated by this, or, or um, have been reading a great deal about the Mean Girl stories because everyone at some stage or another, is experienced being frozen out by a clique. It needn't be girls, obviously. But if you're not part of the cool set at school, obviously, or if you're not uh, part of a chosen sort of batch of employees, even at a large company, and you just get marginalised and sniped at and so on, everyone has, can, can either either has first-hand experience of that or has observed it. We've seen it happen. Yeah, correct. And uh, I think a lot of people relate very closely to that sort of thing. Uh, and uh, it, also, in, in terms of parliamentary politics, we've all seen Question Time. We've, we've seen that it basically is a kind of Lord of the Flies, uh, worst aspects of childhood kind of forum. So the Mean Girls uh, theme fits very well with that. It's, it's not a nice place, is it, Parliament? No. Not a nice no. place. And um, I, I thought Emma, Emma Hussar's comments in the Daily Telegraph this morning slamming Anthony Albanese yes. as a gaslighting narcissist. <laughs> that was a good line. It's a good phrase, isn't it? A gaslighting narcissist. Also, like very, very seriously, she also pointed out that she'd, um, following what she alleges was bullying, that she'd suffered bullying, was uh, that she developed a heart condition. She did. Which is, um, is um, it must be just traumatising to get the diagnosis, let alone to actually suffer it. So... Um, uh, that's uh, that's uh, of, of great concern, and um, I'm just not surprised that Labor are trying to uh, push this away or sort of um, uh, soften it down, or even one of the more brazen attempts to uh, deal with the story, uh, claiming that um, the use of the phrase "mean girls" is itself a mean thing to do and stop being mean. <laughs> oh, it's be sexist. But here's the thing: I mean, it, it's getting picked up, right? Because as, as Hussar said. Labor gets away with this because the left-leaning sections of the media believe in progressive politics and think just because it's the ALP, they have more women in Parliament, they are better. But it is only because the poor treatment of women of the coalition is so much more overt that we don't see the coercive control that goes on in the ALP. Labor is far more toxic and far more manipulative than the Liberal Party. The other thing that's got to ring a truth about this is finally... Um, we're admitting that women can be mean to women. I mean, I thought... What are the odds? Comments? Yeah, I, I thought it was just men that were mean to women. This was in the Jenkins report. The Jenkins report actually found that bullying was more often done by women and that they had multiple victims. So this is this is not new. This, this, was, this was in the Jenkins report. It's just not convenient to talk about. But you're absolutely right about the media and it has been it has been very, very telling that the silence has been deafening. Nothing from Louise Milliken, nothing from Lisa Wilkinson, nothing from the usual coterie of gender Joan of Arcs have not heard boo. 
The only person who has been consistent on this issue is Sam Maiden. And, of course, mm-hmm. Catherine Murphy, uh, Julia Banks, oh, and Emma Alberici were more concerned about the Mean Girls moniker than they were the allegations of substantive, the substantive allegations of bullying which sat behind the Mean Girls moniker. I think from now on, anyone who objects to, be, the, the, to the Mean Girls moniker, they should also wear the tag of Mean Girl. I don't think anybody really has, has come out of this well. Um, but uh, is it going to stick? I mean, is this actually going to... Is this something that's going to take root outside the Beltway or is people just going to see this as another politicians talking about everything but what's the things that are really important? I think it'll stick. I think it'll stick because, um, as I was saying before, people can um, people know this situation. They've, be, they've either been in it or someone close to them has been in a situation like this. And uh, it's an awful situation. Also, uh, people have uh, seen it happen so many times in uh, social media where you'll have gangs of mean girls and boys uh, rounding on people and tormenting them, in some cases all the way to suicide. So I think it will resonate. I think it will stick. And, uh, and if, um, if the three labor, senior Labor women who, um, who've uh, been dubbed mean girls don't like it, well, get used to it, ladies. Yeah, stop being mean to people. That's what I say. We were saying before we should call this segment Biden's Blunder of the Week. It's always hard to choose the best, but this week's is a standout, I thought. How many times have you heard, I bet everybody knows somebody somewhere along the line, that in an intimate relationship, what happened was the guy takes a revealing picture of his naked friend or whatever in a compromising position, and then literally, in a sense, blackmails or mortifies that person. Send it out. Put it online. But enough about your son, Joe. Talk about <laughs> bigger issues. I like the fact that he refers to literally blackmailing. Does he actually think... As opposed to figurative blackmailing? Is that something different? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Dear old Joe. But, uh, yeah, uh, just on, uh, on, on issues related to Joe and Hunter and that fantastic first family, who basically have turned out to be, in reality, what so many on the left describe the Trump clan as. They've actually got the real thing in the, in the White House now. You'll remember, of course, the Hunter Biden laptop from hell story that ran during the election. Mm. Well, it ran in the New York Post, it ran on Fox, it ran on, it ran on networks and in newspapers that uh, had, had knew, knew the story to be true, knew it to be accurate, had, uh, had backup for the story from people like uh, uh, Hunter Biden's business associates. It's taken 17 months for the New York Times, which previously dismissed the laptop story as Russian disinformation. They've run a story this week where they, you know, you get down to the 24th paragraph and they're describing Hunter Biden's various taxation scandals. And um, they just sort of admit down there in the 24th part that, oh, by the way, the information that uh, leads us to this story um, was obtained from Hunter Biden's laptop. Um, uh, yeah, so now it's authentic and true. So, you know, only a little bit late. And the story was, of course, cancelled by Twitter. The story was cancelled by Facebook. Uh, for a time, if you um, if you wrote about it on, on Twitter and Facebook, you, you were in danger of getting your account closed down because of a story that even the New York Times now admits was true. Yeah, if you go onto Wikipedia and, and look at the Biden-Ukraine 
incident. This is where Joe Biden stepped in as vice president to uh, basically force the Ukraine government to sack mm. the chief prosecutor because the chief prosecutor was, oh no, I shouldn't say because, coincidentally, let's say, the chief prosecutor was at that time investigating the company that Hunter Biden was a, was on the board of. So it, it, the whole thing is just, just stinks. But that comes up as a conspiracy theory. That is a conspiracy theory, plain and simple, according to Wikipedia. But of course, all those details are confirmed on the, the laptop and uh, and elsewhere, as Miranda Devine pointed out in her wonderful book, and her other, recording is, in the in the in the earliest instance as well, she was terrific. This is surely why the democratic political class has got a credibility problem. Why nobody believes them? I mean, after being fed, you know, uh, misinformation about the laptop, which they now admit is real, we were told that uh, the Wuhan lab was a, a conspiracy theory. Now everybody admits that that is a likely source of the virus. We were told that uh, that uh, former President Trump was in bed with the Russians. Now we know he's being cleared by the Mueller investigation. Nothing of the sort. Is it any wonder that people just don't trust the Biden government when it says, for instance, that there are no um, U.S. biological weapons facilities in Ukraine? I mean, personally, I think it's probably highly unlikely that there are. But it's it's quite understandable that people are sceptical, isn't it? They've, they've caused this crisis in uh, trust in their own government. Oh, absolutely. And we've got, uh, I think the New York Post refers today to um, polling data following the election that 8% of voters said that uh, had they known the Hunter Biden laptop story was true, would have voted the other way. They would have voted for Trump. So 8% is a huge number of people when you consider the, you know, I think 150 odd million uh, votes were cast in that election. Switch 8% from one candidate to the other. Landslide the Donald. So... It's a, it's a massive story. No one's going to lose their job over this, which is amazing. No one's going to say, oh, jeez, God, we really pulled the wrong lever on that one. You know, we, um, we really should have dug a bit deeper into this uh, laptop story back when it was hot. You'd think that uh, more than a few people would be, um, should be a bit scared for their, for their uh, professional futures. And I think that's the point. How did it take so long? Nobody loses their jobs over anything anymore. Oh, you'd lose it if it's a me too thing or it's uh, some peripheral behavioural sort of issue, but uh, not if you do exactly the opposite of what your job is meant to be, which is discover and broadcast the truth. Yeah, yeah. When I, um, when, I remember when Miranda Devine's article dropped on Twitter and I, I liked it and retweeted it, and then I couldn't post anything on my account until I unliked and undid my retweet. Is that right? That's so sinister, isn't it? It was extraordinary. It was absolutely extraordinary. I could not believe um, the way they just tried to totally isolate off that story. Um, but, yeah, they did. So what was the process? How did they? Um, uh, how, how, how did the Sleaze learn to love uh, our alternative facts process work? When they said that you'd be welcome to return to Twitter, uh, what hoops did you have to jump through to to reach that oh no no there wasn't anything i didn't get any notification i just couldn't post all right i couldn't post i couldn't comment i couldn't like i couldn't do anything i was just disabled from doing anything on my account in like a in a positive sense but i then i went back and i just um yeah undid my like and undid my retweet and i was immediately able to use my account again it's even worse that they don't explain it to you. You get this sort of shadow ban 
that freezes you in place. Yeah, and uh, Yeah, and uh, of course, someone politically savvy like yourself will realise the, the cause. But there'd be have to be mm. tens of millions, hundreds of millions of social media no users idea. worldwide who might have gone like, oh, this, maybe my computer's broken. I better take it to a repair shop. What can possibly go wrong there? <laughs> exactly. Caroline, you are soon to face the prospect there in the West of having, am I right in saying this, in, in telethon appeal workers come to your door to test you for COVID. It all sounds rather confusing. Can you explain it to us? Well, I'm a little bit confused myself, but essentially what is going to happen is uh, the government, in instead of using their you know vast plethora of public servants, uh, are going to send around Telethon Kids Institute researchers uh, to do um, door-to-door COVID testing um, in certain suburbs within, around Perth. Um, it's voluntary. Um, I did think the use of uh, telethon staff was a little bit unusual. Shouldn't they be ra- uh, raising money for kids with cancer or doing research into kids' cancer or all those other important things? Um, but I don't understand how, you know, essentially at the back end of this pandemic and after we've seen the eastern states go through Omicron, why on earth the state government thought that this was necessary? Apparently they want to pick up asymptomatic cases. Well, why? if they're asymptomatic, does it really matter? It doesn't matter. No idea. No, and, and they obviously didn't hear the official announcement on the swill a few weeks ago. I think you were on the show when we declared that COVID was over. It was over. Gone, Correct. finished, we're done with it. We don't want any more of it. Correct. <laughs> so why is the government still going on about it? And, and what will happen, Carolyn, if you test positive, even asymptomatic or not, if you test positive and you're asymptomatic, do you have to go into some sort of quarantine? Uh, what, are, what are the rules? If you... Here's the thing. The test that they're using is not approved by the TGA. So if you test positive to their specky new test, then you have to go and have a PCR test. And that, I'm assuming, would be a compulsory aspect. So voluntary up to that point, and then, oh, bad luck, pal. You've um, you've tested positive on uh, yeah, and if you on this bogus thing, we've just uh, made you made you uh, comply with, or you volunteered to comply with. Now it gets official. Correct, and well, I would say so. And then you go have your PCR test, and if you're positive, you don't get to go to work. You don't get to earn a living even though there is functionally nothing wrong with you, you're positive but you're, uh, you're not sick, um, you've got to stay at home and serve your seven days. Man. Is it a rat test they're doing? I used to think, I mean, until no, just a few weeks a ago, I thought test. rat tests were what pest controllers did when they came around your backyard <laughs> and put stuff around your dustbins. But Well, rat tests were illegal in Western Australia until I think about the 9th of January. Prior to the 9th of January, if you used or procured a rat, there was a $20,000 individual maximum penalty. (laughs) Then all of a sudden the government realised, oh, maybe we do need them after all, even though they're not the gold standard. And so they had to rush out and buy some overseas. um, And at a cost of $1.4 million to the taxpayer, they had to be flown privately into WA because we didn't have any just as Omicron was hitting. But no, this test is it's got some other fancy acronym. No no doubt there was a committee to uh, to work out that name, but it's a test that's not at this point approved by the TGA. I think um Caroline, I think the rat test that you've got there is um is the multi optimal 
Utilitarian Sinus Exploration, or mouse. It's a similar, it's in the same family as the rat, but uh, just slightly uh, less inconvenient. The smaller cousin. <laughs> yes, that's right. I don't You've got an infestation of mice. But also, is there, is there an element of kind of emotional blackmail here that they're sending out, you know, uh, people who specialise in raising money for sick children? They're the ones showing up your door to uh, to test you. I'm not sure where they've gained the um, the medical authority to do that. But is there an element of, uh, of arm twisting there? Like, you know, be tested for the kids. Is there any kind of aspect of that? Oh, I'm, I'm not sure, but I wouldn't entirely be surprised. You know, there have been a few instances um, of people getting pretty stroppy uh, with bottle shop staff and wait staff when they've been asked for their vaccination details. So, you know, can you imagine the headlines if people were really mean to the kids' cancer? Oh, you can't be doing that. People as opposed to the average public servant. So, you know, I wouldn't be entirely surprised. We can't be too careful. Every, every household should buy two washing machines, one to wash their face masks so they, can't, they don't get contaminated with the normal washing. <laughs> I think that that's just a standard procedure from now on. It's all safety first. Poland is calling for Australia to send it coal so that it can give up its almost complete dependence on Russian coal, preferably before the winter sets up. I'm sure we'd love to send them some coal, but we don't have much to spare. Why? Well, we've got tons of the stuff under the ground. We just can't get it out because of green activism. The green activists have infiltrated the parliaments, the boardrooms and the courts are using court process to block development proposals. One of the worst cases of this was in recent years was Justice Morty Bromberg's call last year when he he ruled that the minister could not approve an extension to a coal mine because she would be breaching her duty of care towards children and their well-being. It's just a very short extract from Morty Bromberg's judgment. Perhaps the most startling of the potential harms demonstrated by the evidence before the court is that one million of today's Australian children are expected to suffer at least one heat stress episode serious enough to require acute care in a hospital. Many thousands will suffer premature death from heat stress or bushfire smoke. Substantial economic loss and property damage will be experienced. The Great Barrier Reef and most of Australia's eastern eucalypt forests will no longer exist due to repeated severe bushfires. The evidence demonstrates that a reasonable person in the position of the minister would foresee that by reason of the extension project's effect on increased CO2 in the Earth's atmosphere and the consequential increase in global surface temperatures, each of the children is exposed to a risk of death or other personal injury. Well, there you have it. That's not a climate activist. That's a Justice Morty Bronberg, a, a judge in the Federal Court of Australia, delivering a judgment in a case against Whitehaven Coal, why they shouldn't be able to develop an extension to a coal mine. Joining us to explain that judgment and, and thankfully why it was overturned is the Australian's legal affairs commentator, Chris Merrick. Chris, welcome to the Six O'Clock Swirl. Hi, Nick. So tell us, that's been overturned, that judgment. Thank goodness, but how did he get away with it in the first place? Explain. Well, it was a judge-alone decision, one judge, Morty Bromberg. Uh, it was overturned, not because of any 
dispute over the existence or otherwise of climate change and what a terrible thing it is. It was overturned because, um, uh, to put it bluntly, uh, Morty Bromberg misapplied the law of negligence and the unanimous ruling of the full federal court, uh, three separate judges, it get judgments, it goes to about 180 pages, spelled it out for him. It's a primer on how the law of negligence should not be used as a, a replacement, if you like, for the electoral process. The um, Chief Justice made the point uh, repeatedly and quite strongly that there are issues that are simply not suitable for resolution by the judiciary, and this is exactly one of them. Uh, there are others, of course, that are quite appropriate. They, they were quite well-mannered about it, um, even though they uh, smashed, I think is the technical term, um, Justice Bromberg's decision. They did it in a very nice way. Um, they spelled out quite uh, clearly and uh, concisely that Justice Bromberg's analysis of the facts uh, was spot on and that was terrific, uh, very thorough analysis. He spelled it all out. Um, and it's interesting, the judgment goes on to say that the, uh, the Minister for the Environment, Susan Lee, didn't actually challenge that. Um, uh, there, was, there was no cross-examination in, in the uh, lower court. But the, the thing that uh, Susan Lee won overwhelmingly on was the law. Um, it's only, oh, I think, about 15 years ago that there was all sorts of trouble caused by uh, soft-hearted judges extending the law of negligence in order pro to provide remedies for people they considered to be uh, worthy cases, uh, bending the law, extending the law. Yeah, vulnerable people, people who have suffered horrific injuries. It sounded great uh, for the people concerned, but um, the cost was that the law lost its rigour and insurance companies basically went on strike and um, uh, removed their capital, a lot of their capital, from this country. And I suspect that that experience is... Um, strongly influenced the way the full federal court um, ruled on this. So they didn't mince words. They made it quite clear that the, the duty that Justice Bromberg uh, wanted to create, um, and this is how he did it, he, he, he said, look, there's a, there should be a duty of care for um, ministers such as Susan Lee to uh, take responsibility for uh, personal injury and death of everybody in Australia aged under 18 who suffers harm or death as a result of carbon dioxide being released into the atmosphere of the planet. And that's just too broad. Um, uh, first year law students will tell you that um, the law of negligence uh, requires a relationship of neighbourhood. It, 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 it's a, there must be a degree of proximity between You'd the person so. suffering the damage and the person caught. And in terms, in terms of time too, because he's the, the, predicating this on the fact that climate change is going to get really, really bad by about 2100 and some of these 18-year-olds will still be alive because we're all living much longer. Now, that's the way he does it. And uh, there's a, there's a graph. he's got the famous hockey stick graph 
of course, in the original judgment, you know, to show that we've had very little uh, warming of the planet up to now, but wait a minute, it's just about to take off. Nick, Nick and uh, Chris, I think as well, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it, um, that as part of, uh, of his argument, it was that the world's becoming so terrible and horrible, yet these children will live longer than any previous generation. They're going to have to suffer more, which is a fascinating circumstance. Chris, as has been widely established on this show, there's no more morally righteous being on the planet than uh, teenage children. And this, this case, of course, had its genesis with a bunch of uh, uh, activist kids, didn't it? Can you explain their role and, um, and, uh, and how they played this? Yeah, I think it started out, there was eight of them, and I think it dropped down to, to six, and they had what's called a, a litigation guardian, who was a, a, a an 86-year-old that's nun. Right, that's who, right, that's uh, right, Who took responsibility. Nothing better than having a nun guardian. involved in a case that uh, was uh, based on science, but uh, do continue, Chris. Look, uh, it, this is not over. Um, I suspect that the emotional response to the full federal court's decision um, will lead almost inevitably to an attempt to take this to the high court, um, which in my view will be a, a terrific thing because it will mean that um, the anonymous financial backers of these uh, well-meaning kids um, will lose squillions. Uh, the, the, the federal court... Um, is one of the most respected, full federal court, is one of the most respected courts in the country. And the judgments, uh, particularly the the, uh, the leading judgment of Chief Justice James Alsop, is just, it's devastating it, it, on the law. It, he's removed the emotional out of this. And this is just a straight exposition of an attempt to extend the law of negligence into uh, an area of governance. He says, look, this is not a relationship of neighbourhood. This is a relationship of the government and the governed. Uh, and it's, it's a cause of, it's a, an argument that's been brought by people who just strongly disagree with government policy. And you don't overturn that by going yeah, to that's court. Also all, all makes that point very clear, doesn't he? That, 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 that the, the role of public policy is 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 properly done by elected members to a government and that's right isn't it i mean the thing is bromberg is not accountable uh, we cannot vote him out if we think that we don't like what he's doing and yet what he's effectively doing is taking upon judges to decide how we will deal with climate change and neutering the minister's role in this it couldn't stand surely look it, it couldn't and um the consequences of this would be absolutely catastrophic um, because even though Bromberg did not uh, uh, order an injunction to stop this particular, the extension of this particular mine, by recognising the existence of uh, a duty of care, that the minister owes a duty of care to everyone aged under 18 uh, over carbon dioxide emissions that cause damage, that... that that can be used in future cases. Every case that involves uh, a new coal mine or an extension of a coal mine or uh, any sort of mine, an iron ore mine. Exporting coal to other countries, it's universal. Even it's... just taking my Jeep out of the That's garage. Right. I mean, I'm, that, that becomes... A, I'm endangering the lives <laughs> of 
future generations because I'm putting large quantities of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. God bless it. Six cylinders, 3.7 litres. <laughs> Just think about the consequences. But for the full federal court, the, the Bromberg duty would be part of the law of Australia. It would then be wide open for anybody with sufficient financial yeah. backing to challenge any development, any mining development, any coal mining development, put it more more accurately. So the effect, whether it, whether they win or lose wouldn't matter, but the, the effect would be to supercharge litigation, anti-development, anti-coal mining development litigation. Even if they lose, they win because they um, delay developments, add to costs, make uh, coal mining uh, uneconomic. That would have been the, the consequence. It's a, it's a great trick that they pull, isn't it, Chris, when they use various legal and social avenues to make coal mining un- uneconomic and then say, it's just the market at work. You're meant to be conservatives. <laughs> you're, meant to be a, you're meant to be applauding um, um, people yielding to market forces. When, of course, those forces, especially in the case of coal, are massively manipulated and... Uh, and altered uh, practically by the month sometimes. Caroline, you're being very quiet. This is your profession we're getting stuck into. Come to their defence. Um, no, sorry, I can't. I can't. I still have a current practice certificate <laughs> and I'd like to keep it. Um, look, it's, I look at this as it, it is such a nebulous idea of what a duty of care is then it comes down to, in practical terms, how does the minister, how can the minister ever properly make a decision? So we talk about the concept of net zero. So that doesn't mean no emissions. So there's no, there's nothing to say that you can't have a coal mine and offset those emissions somewhere else. Why can't you do that? Um, then you've got the whole idea, like we've talked about proximity, but you've got the then you've got the problem of causation. How do you show, show that one thing mm. caused the other? I still don't understand how these activists think that the federal government is so powerful that they can somehow change the temperature of the planet. What if China, for example, opens a thousand coal mines in one year? Is that a Novus Actus intervenience? Is that something that could so greatly affect the, the temperature of the planet, that that then is an intervening act between whatever the minister has done and then whatever the potential consequences are. And we're talking over such a long period of time. How on earth do you get from duty of care to breach, to damage, to causation? I, I just don't even know how you draw something so nebulous together. And then at the end, we all go into um, a damages hearing to work to quantify this. I mean, it's just, it's totally unworkable. <laughs> Have I missed that? That's something? actually a very good way of explaining yeah. it, Carolyn. That is, uh, that's, uh, that's quite eloquent. I like that. Yeah, look, it's, it's just, it was a try-on. It um, is clearly, was clearly designed more as a, uh, a vehicle to appeal to uh, uh, well-meaning, if uh, legally uninformed young people. Um, it's just the wrong forum. Uh, the law of tort is completely unsuited to this sort of thing. It just, uh, and, and the, the, the lawyers, the judges have been there and done this. They've seen uh, how the law of tort can be brought into disrepute by uh, an unnecessary uh, well, but well-meaning extension. And the full federal court has clearly decided they're not going to go there again. It just, 
You might remember about 10, 15 years ago that uh, judges were pilloried and there were cartoons in the papers about soft-hearted judges handing out all sorts of bags of money to people. The law completely lost its rigour and thank goodness the federal court has put an end to it. It's never a good situation, is it, Chris, when you've got uh, these kids and their, you know, the well-meaning children and their their supporters and... uh, by forcing this case, potentially endangered uh, billions of dollars worth of uh, of industry and progress, but uh, they can lose without penalty. It seems um, an unfair imbalance. Not that I'm saying that children should be jailed, heaven forbid, but you know, maybe apprehended in some form or another. I don't know. There, but there's got to be a, a middle path. Well, look, you raise a very interesting point because the the um the, the costs hearing is still to come. There, there's uh, still no decision on costs. And logically, after a, a judgment like this, which is like uh, laid out in his air for, for the Minister for Environment, it, you would imagine it would be costs for the Minister um, and the other side would have to pay. So I'd like to know who is going to be putting their hand in their pocket to, to pay the bill because it, won't it will be, be the, substantial. The, the plaintiffs, it won't be the... Uh, they can't, presumably their their pocket money doesn't amount to that much. But this would be what this would be. Uh, well, let's 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 have it. Let's oh, have a stamp it. Stamp it. It's activists, right? And a- activists from overseas who actually have funds that they invest in fighting these kind of cases in Australia for the pure purpose of slowing down and hopefully stopping development. Right? That's what they're doing it for. Uh, yeah. Look, the case is so hopeless. Uh, when you read the judgment, it's it's clear that, but for the fact that they drew Morty Bromberg, this case would never have made it to first base. Um, but I I suspect that it might have been brought on, um, knowing that it would eventually be knocked out. But it would create a lot of publicity and cause a lot of headlines and motivate a lot of kids. But it just strikes me that if there was a serious attempt to uh, uh, do something about uh, climate change. You do it in the political forum and not in the courts because it, it's just mm. destined to fail. Judge Morty Bromberg, they, they must have thought their Christmases had come at once when they got jo- Judge Morty Bromberg on the case, who's a, a former priest, failed pre-selection candidate for the Labor Party um, in... Um, He's also a footballer, Tim. Did you ever catch him in any of his 32 games for St Kilda between 1979 and 1981? You didn't see him in any of those, did you? I, I'm, I may well have seen him, but uh, I wouldn't have. Um, he wouldn't have stood out. But uh, yeah, I went to a lot of games in, uh, in that era, so it's uh, it's uh, it's entirely possible I saw him play. But uh, unlike his subsequent legal career, he didn't leave much of a mark in uh, in the AFL. No, perhaps it's time to. Re- hang up his wig and retire from the judging game as well. I did have a good read of um, Justice Alsop's judgment, Chris, and it feels like a love letter to the High Court, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> it does. Like, just in case, full bench, I've done the work for you. And here is here is the entire <laughs> law of, 
of negligence, and I've just laid it out beautifully for. Tell me if <laughs> tell me if I'm wrong. It, it, it reminded it reminded me of years spent swatting over a tort book when I was at law school. <laughs> but it's bulletproof. It's absolutely bulletproof. So if it does go to the High Court, um, it'll be easy. <laughs> It reminds me in some respects to the dissenting judgment in the Victorian Supreme Court of Appeal in Pell. The Pell case. Yeah, that, that dissenting yeah. decision, not dissimilar in nature to the way yeah. that it's written and the, the, the essentially, hmm. just in case this is needed, here, is, here it is all <laughs> for you. That, that, it, it did remind me of that. Yeah. It's it's sort of a legal version of uh, of uh, the Margaret Fulton cookbook. Very simple, very straightforward. You can substitute, you know, self-raising flour here if you don't have any plain flour. <laughs> well, good. Thank you, Chris, for joining us and explaining the law as you do regularly in the Australian. But um, yeah, let's keep an eye on these people and these make work schemes for lawyers. <laughs> we don't like them. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Bye. Good on you, Chris. See you later, Chris. Chris Merritt from The Australian. Um, there's a Sydney gym, I, I don't know, maybe they'll get sued for this, but a Sydney gym, Club, a- Club Active, has banned anybody born after 1970. Gen Xs, Millennials, Gen Zs. They've been banned from the training facilities. Uh, Chris Hemsworth, who's the guy who runs this gym, says uh, mainstream gyms are certainly not designed to support this age group. That He means baby boomers. He wants to create a safe space for baby boomers. Neither are they overly welcoming, which often impacts their motivation for and ability to exercise company and regularly. If it just means they get rid of all that doof-doof music, then that's reason enough, I would have thought, to chuck out the millennials and and make it more comfortable for people like us. Maybe some Beach Boys music to exercise too. What do you think, Tim? I'm all in favour of it. (laughs) Well, so it's everyone born after 1970, right? So that's everyone um, younger than 52. Mm. Imagine getting turned away on the basis of age because, uh, sorry, mate, um, you're only a kid. You know, you're 52. Come back. Come back once you've once you reverse the the, uh, the aging process. So that, 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 I'm not sure this sort of thing holds up in an era of, um, of uh, rampant discrimination uh, lawsuits and not to get into another legal discussion, but... Surely you can't just tell people to bugger off because they're um, not sufficiently elderly. Well, that's a good reason. We should maybe extend this to other areas, perhaps voting, perhaps. You know, 52 oh, becomes... Yeah, absolutely, yeah. The coalition would cream in every time. Um, and, uh, and, and drinking, too. You know, I mean, I just want to go back to old-fashioned pubs, Tim. I, I just, you know, you sit there and you can have a normal pint. You know, not some... <laughs> IPA bitter that sort of tears the back off your throat and they charge you 12 bucks for it. So, so you're not drinking in an Australian pub then if you want pints. <laughs> you're going way back to the old country. I suppose. But we were in a bar last night in, in Adelaide, Hayden Co. it was called, and my wife just asked for a simple gin and tonic and they mm-hmm. kind of looked at her, you know, as if she was somehow a relic from former age, you know, gin and tonic. Well, they had 50, I would swear, 50 kinds of gin and nobody would recommend one. You know, you're just supposed to show how knowledgeable you are by picking one. Sorry, Caroline, we're going on and on. You surely want to come to the defence of your generation just as you did earlier to lawyers. Someone has to defend the lawyers. Jeez, we get a rough time of it. Um, <laughs> look, I can, as, as someone who frequents a gym often, 
Um, I I can I can kind of understand why older people don't want to be um, in the gym, particularly around that gym rat type of element. Now there's some there's some discrimination right there, but I, I can understand that. Um, whether you can impose it. I'm not so sure, but I mean, we have women-only gyms. So if we have women-only yep. gyms and that's acceptable, I can't see why we can't have old person-only gyms. Um, mm. So it, it doesn't really surprise me. Um, there, there are <laughs> Look, I like to go to the gym because I like to have an hour of peace and quiet and I like to be fit and those sorts of things. But, you know, there's a lot of pretty average stuff that goes on at the gym and I can understand particularly if you're um uh if you're older and and you go to gym for mobility and that sort of thing that you you probably don't necessarily want to be around some of that element I can appreciate that are they is there is there that kind of class element thing I mean it it strikes me that people wouldn't ordinarily just be mean to people just because they're old but is there that sort of competitive gym aspect where um the young and the um the nimble would scorn or be sort of eye-rolling at uh, the older and more infirm uh, participants? No, in I don't activity? think they necessarily do that. But they, they, some people who, you know, and this is not a slight on all people who go to the gym, it is most certainly not like mm-hmm. that. But, you know, there is a little bit of intimidation that goes on at the gym. I know that people have tried to intimidate me in the past. Um, it did not work well mm-hmm. for them. Mm. Good luck with that. Jeez. No, I was just saying, good luck with that. Well, I'm, I'm only small. I'm five foot three, Tim. So people see someone small and they think that, you know, I've been, I've, I've had, you know, much taller men trying, you know, I, I want to use that machine. Well, sorry, buddy, you are going to have to wait. Hmm. And that sort of thing does happen, unfortunately. It's not systemic, but it does happen. And there's probably some older people who don't really want to deal with that. Mean girl. We should have, we should have gyms that are free of mean, mean girls. Yeah, like they should open open gyms called Nice Girls and you know Happy Old Old Folks. Um, just on our Mean Girls, the the phrase comes from the movie Mean Girls, um, a celebrated uh, celebrated motion picture uh, detailing the activity of a particularly uh, hostile bunch of chicks. Yeah, but there's actually two, there's two better Mean Girls movies than Mean Girls. One of them is a film called Heathers, which is from 1989. Winona Ryder's in it. Winona Ryder, she gets a lot of heat over the years for her various roles, but she actually hasn't made too many bad films. Um, But the peak Mean Girls movie in history was the first screen adaptation of Stephen King's Carrie. Now, I'm pretty sure that Nick knows the film. I'm not sure that Caroline does. Caroline, are you familiar with Carrie at all? No, I'm not born before 1970. I'm not eligible for the gym, and I don't recall the movie firsthand. <laughs> well, let me... I don't think I'm spoiling this for a lot of people, uh, but let me just outline the plot, because it, it was fantastic. Uh, Sissy Spacek plays a particularly nerdy schoolgirl. She's raised by um, her, her mother, who's a widow, I, I think, and her mother, let's just say, she's um, she's got a very doctrinaire interpretation of biblical scripture. So Sissy Spacek's character is raised by this uh, domineering uh, Bible lady. Um, she's a, not a very worldly teen as a consequence. She's attending school with a bunch of mean girls. She's on the outer of that group. Um, and at one point, uh, Sissy Spacek's character gets her first period. She doesn't know what on earth is happening. 
Her mother later explains it in terms of uh, Satan and uh, and so on. Helpful. But this is yes, this uh, but this uh, this uh, traumatic episode for for her character is just uh, fuels the bullying of uh, of the mean girls clique in that school, mm. and it has a very satisfactory conclusion. Let's say um, such is the. Um, the the torture and uh, and, uh, and and teasing of uh, of Sissy's character, she develops a sort of a defensive power of a psychokinetic ability. She can move objects just through her sheer, you know, a fierce rejection of this awful treatment of herself, mm-hmm. and she ends up killing the whole school. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a, you know it's a feel good f- film for the whole family. Really, it's a, it's got a moral lesson in it. And um, and uh, Sissy Spacek, uh, I think it was before her probably best known role in uh, Coal Miner's Daughter, but uh, she um, she can really act. You wouldn't actually put it past her to move objects with her mind. She's a powerful performer. No, no good, good movie. I, good I recommend movie. I recommend to people in Canberra rent that movie on Netflix this weekend and have a damn good look at it and uh, and reconsider some of their own behaviour. White says these are godless times, Mrs. Snell. Which Mrs. Snell replies, "I'll drink to that." <laughs> <laughs> they haven't been to Parliament. House, yes. Obviously. Any other business to clear up before we? Okay, I think we're, I think we've I think we've covered most every sub- subject that's important to humankind, as we always do. Well, I feel like that is our contribution. So uh, just remember, there's no cost to this podcast, but you do have to give us five stars, six if it'll allow you. I'm not sure if it will. Seven if you're uh, over fifty-two. And uh, coming soon, the six o'clock will. Instagram page. I'm told that's where we have to be these days. So we'll have that up and running pretty quickly. Thank you for joining us from the West, Carolina Russo, Tim there in Sydney, and I'm off to have a great night in Adelaide. <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> but tell it, see if you can make it through to next week. Every American and LBJ is with Australia all the way. Australia is the best place in the world to bring up a family. But we will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come. How good is Australia? (laughs) 